0: The theme for this week has captured my heart since the time that Brother Don shared with me that it was going to be called the Ignite Conference. You know, the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 29, says, our God is a consuming fire. And a verse of Scripture that I had somehow read right over many times without meditating deeply upon it is Luke chapter 12 and verse 49 where Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Holman frames it this way, I came to bring fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already set ablaze. I think the title Ignite Conference captures as well as any what God wants to do in our hearts here this week. The Lord Jesus said, I came to cast fire upon the earth. And the context of that chapter is one in which he is announcing impending judgment that's coming. But basically, the Lord Jesus is saying, I'm tired of cold, dead religiosity. I'm desiring something beyond the ritual and the road and the externals of what I see in the In the Jews' religion, he is saying that he wants hearts that are burning. And Jesus is saying that he came not only to save us, but he came to ignite us. The word ignite, the derivative of the word ignition, carries the idea of starting something, getting it kicked off. I can have the most expensive Mercedes made in my garage, but if it doesn't have an ignition, then it's nothing more than a conversation piece. It fails to accomplish the very purpose for which it was made, which is transportation. The car must be ignited, it must be started, so that it can accomplish its purpose in existence which is to take people from point A to point B. In order for the church, in order for me as an individual to accomplish my reason upon the earth, I need to be ignited the church's responsibility to get people from point A to point B, to move them down the road closer to Christ, to prepare them for the eternal kingdom of God, and to live for God while doing it requires the ministry of the Holy Spirit which can be ignited through the vehicle of revival. I'm, I'm so thankful to share in that with you guys. And I want to ask you to turn with me in your Old Testament to the book of Exodus because we're going to talk about a man who had his heart ignited in the most unusual place and at the most unusual time. His name is Moses. You're very familiar with Moses. <laughs> From the time of vacation Bible school as a preschooler on, we, we learned that wonderful story of how Moses was delivered from the Nile River by the daughter of Pharaoh and how he was raised in Pharaoh's court and how that Moses' own Hebrew mother had the wonderful privilege to be the nurse mother to him and how she trained him and she put into him even as a child uh, who he was as a Hebrew and, and he never forgot that. And Moses grew up with the finest of Egyptian education. We could say that he had probably what would be the equivalent of a PhD from the University of Egypt. He was trained as a statesman, trained as an administrator, trained as a military strategist. His career seemed to be unchecked to success. But then we open our text to the third chapter of Exodus. You see, all that I've just described happens in the second chapter of Exodus. And when we open our text, we expect to see him riding in his official chariot on official business, succeeding. And we're struck with the first words of chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. Wow. What happened that moved Moses from the penthouse, as Yogi Berra said, to the outhouse? What caused him to leave his official chariot and to lose his entourage and to lose his official uniform and all of his power and authority and here he is doing the most despicable job that an Egyptian could conceive tending sheep on the backside of the desert. He's no longer the prince of Egypt. He's just his wife's husband, and his father-in-law's employee. His Ph.D. is turning yellow on his tent wall. What happened? Well, the Scripture says in verse 2 that something wonderful is about to happen. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, of fire out of the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed and Moses said I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burnt and when the Lord saw that he turned aside God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not near. Hither put off thy shoes from off thy feet. The place whereon you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Here was Moses on the backside of the Sinai Peninsula. For the first 40 years, he learned to be somebody. But for the last 40 years, he has learned to be nobody for the first 40 years he got his bs degree from the university of egypt be something degree and for the last 40 years he got his bn degree in the university of hard trials the be nothing degree and when we open our bible he is 80 years old no doubt in his own heart and in his own mind he's thinking that his best days Are in the past, that all he has to look forward to are days of tending the sheep until he dies. I I wonder how many times he daydreamed about what things might have been. Had he chosen a different path, had he chosen to not seek to be the redeemer of his own Hebrew people. Had he chosen to go along with the line of least resistance and stayed in Pharaoh's court, where would he be and what would he be doing? But but Moses was about to experience a revolutionary, life-changing experience. He was about to be set on fire. He was about to be ignited by the fire of God. And so he finds himself, all of a sudden, attracted to a bush. A bush that appears to be on fire. But when he gets up close to it, he realizes the bush is not burning. It looks like it's burning, but it's not being consumed. (laughs) I I wonder if Moses didn't say, Man, that bush is exactly the opposite of me. Forty years ago, I burned out in 24 hours. And look at that bush. It burns and burns and burns and burns and is not consumed. On a foxhole wall in World War II were written these words. Some men go down in shrapnel. Some men go down in flames. But most men die inch by inch in play at little things. Moses, here he is in the desert And he begins to think about 40 years before. If you're a note taker, write down the word failure. Because what I want you to see is that before there can ever be a burning bush experience, God is going to walk us probably, you may be an exception to this case, But in in my life and in the life of the people I know and in all the biographies that I've read, it seems that it's almost a given that every man that God, every woman that God designs to use in a powerful way, he walks them through the same valley he's walking Moses through when we open our text. It's the valley of failure. You see, failure is the platform upon which God delights to promote us to success. And so Moses thinks back to 40 years before when he failed his big test. Do you remember what happened? The book of Acts tells us that one day Moses was out in his official chariot, riding around over Egypt, kind of watching over things as the princes. And he began to think about what his real biological mother taught him when he was a little boy. And he decided, I'm going to go out to the Israeli camp. I'm going to visit them. I might be able to encourage them, let them know that I'm on their side. And so I can just see in my sanctified imagination, Moses riding out there in his chariot. But when he gets there, there's an Egyptian taskmaster that's taking to task one of the Hebrew men. And he's beating him up. And there's a rage that comes over Moses and I can see him as he jumps down out of his chariot and as he takes his stick and he beats that Egyptian taskmaster and he kills him in a fit of rage. Moses is thinking, wow, they're going to see that I'm on their side and they'll be willing to follow me. Moses hid buried the Egyptian soldier in the sand. The next day when he went out to try to follow up on that, he discovered that instead of the Hebrews gravitating to him, they were rejecting him. And he also discovered that 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 Egyptian soldier that he had buried had been discovered. And one of the Hebrews said something about Pharaoh. Pharaoh knowing about it all of a sudden it, Moses realized i've i've made a huge mistake i have totally misread the hebrew people now pharaoh knows i've killed one of our own and so immediately pharaoh leaves town not just for a mile or two he leaves the country and he goes to the back side of the desert. Now, let's examine that just a minute. Why did Moses fail? He was certainly sincere, wasn't he? Moses failed because Moses felt called to a task. Rather than understanding he was called to a relationship. Moses was committed to a mission rather than being committed to the God of the mission. And Moses tried to do single-handedly what only God could do. And so when Moses made the decision that he was one by one going to eliminate the Egyptian army, he could not kill one Egyptian soldier and bury him in the sand without his big toe sticking out and somebody finding out about it. But when God got ready to drown the Egyptian army, he drowned the entire army at one time. You see, only God can do the work of God in God's power. God did not call Moses to do his best for Jesus. I grew up on that theology. Can I tell you that I grew up believing a heresy? Now, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Do you know what a heresy is? A heresy is truth out of balance. And I grew up, Brother Don, believing heresy. And here's the heresy. I believed enough of the gospel to get me out of hell. But I did not believe enough of the gospel to get the hell out of me. Let me say that one more time. I believed enough of the gospel to keep me out of hell. I believe that Jesus died for me, was buried, and rose again. I believe that with all my heart. I had trusted in that dimension of the gospel. But I want to tell you something, church. The gospel is more than the fact that Christ died for me. The gospel is that I died with him. Romans chapter 6 says, "Know ye not that we were buried with Him in baptism. Colossians chapter 3 says that that we're to seek that which is above, not, not that which is upon the earth, for we are dead, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, believing that He died for me, that gets me out of hell. Believing and living out by faith the fact that I died with Him, that gets the hell out of me. Moses had learned enough of the good news of redemption he believed in God but he had never come to the point where he had totally surrendered his life to God and so God had to let him fail at his best for Jesus how many of you I wonder you see that's painful because God will let us fail doing our best for Jesus so that we will finally come to recognize that it's not about us doing our best for Jesus it's about our surrendering our heart all that we are to all that he is and letting him do his best through us all right so there's the failure that has to precede the experience of the burning bush now look at some of the features of that experience to me it's an amazing thing Moses first of all when Moses saw the bush burning he was attracted to it I think first of all by curiosity what is this? You see, the truth is, it was just an old acacia bush. It was a bush even the sheep didn't like to eat. And Moses is looking at it. And, and, and the text says this in Exodus 3.3. 3, he says, I will turn aside and see why the bush doesn't burn. Moses said, I'm going to find out what's going on here. In, in other words, when Moses saw something he was attracted to, he, he could at that point choose hey man I, I'm not going I'm not going to have anything to do with that or he could pursue it and here's what Moses did Moses lived up to the light God gave him and so God gave him more light in other words he was responsive to God's revelation jesus said in luke chapter 8 verse 18 he says so pay attention to how you listen because to the one who has something more will be given however from the one who doesn't have even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him what's he talking about spiritual receptivity he says and jesus especially emphasized that in the parables he would tell a story and those that just thought it's a good story they'd listen and say great story but those who really were hungry would say to Jesus afterwards. Hey Jesus, what did you mean by that? And, and, and you know, some people are like that with with church and with worship. They come, they're kind of entertained. And I, somebody prayed in the first service that that not happened this week. That we just come and and, and listen, and go through. You know, just have a, a normal week. But 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 when folks are hungry for God, they not only listen in the worship service, but they begin to ask questions. Lord, what are you saying? What are you wanting to do in my life? This week and so there is a responsiveness to God's revelation I, I want to appeal to you up front right now let that be your heart this week and the second thing I see here is the insignificance of the vessel major Thomas hit it on the nose when he wrote in his book the saving life of Christ he has a chapter in there entitled any old Bush will do hey I'm a testimony to that any old Bush will do when God began to deal with my heart You just don't, you can't realize how introverted, how backwards I was. The very first date I had with this beautiful lady down here, I got somebody else to call her for me. I I just, I wouldn't take a part in church training. I was so scared and so backwards about anything public. And and I remember one of my burning bush experiences was the Lord saved me just a few weeks before I graduated from high school. And, and, And after I was saved one night in the spring of 1964, Uh, I I was sitting in front of a black and white TV. All my family had gone to bed. And I'm sitting there in the total darkness, that black and white. And back in those days, it would flip. (laughs) They don't do that anymore. It would flip, you know, and you'd try to turn it stop it from flipping. And it had an antenna outside to get all the fuzz out of it. And I'm watching Billy Graham. And I remember he gave the invitation. And people started flooding down the aisles. And almost without notice, my eyes filled with tears, my heart filled with the warmth of God's presence. And it was like God said to me, the most unlikely character in East Union High School, God said to me, Tommy, the rest of your life, you're going to be preaching the gospel like that. Oh, it was a burning bush experience. I, I, I couldn't give a speech. I couldn't stand up in front of class. I couldn't take a church. But God said, I will help you to do it. You see, the thing is, anytime God calls us to do something, He empowers us to do it. All right, those are the features. Now, let, let, me, let, me, let me give you one other main feature of that. And that is the, the most important thing, the insignificance of the bush leads to the significance of the presence of God. You know the reason any old bush will do is because it's not about the bush. It's about the God in the bush. Moses began to, on close examination, realize, hey, this bush is burning, but it's not burning up. What what is happening here? Well, I think we understand what's happening here from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 16. Let me read a verse of Scripture to you. Deuteronomy 33, 16 says, And for the precious things of the earth and the fullness thereof, and for the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush, let the blessings come upon the head of Joseph and upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. Now I want you to notice the phrase, for the good will of him that dwelt in the bush. That's a title for God. The good will of him that dwelt in the bush. Now that word bush in Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 16 is a word that's used only twice for that particular word in the Old Testament. Guess where else it's used? In Exodus chapter 3. In other words, it's the same Hebrew word, identically, that's used of the bush that Moses saw burning. So God is calling himself the God or him who dwelt in the bush. But but notice something else. See that word dwelt in Deuteronomy 33, who dwelt in the bush? Hey, guess what Hebrew word that is? That's the Hebrew word Shekinah. You remember that? The Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God was the ball of fire that people would see at night the cloud in daytime where God would manifest his presence. Whenever God got ready to reveal his presence, the Shekinah glory of God would show up. And and so he's talking here about the, the Shekinah in the bush, which means that this really is not a bush that's burning up internally, but it's a bush enveloped in the Shekinah glory of God. Many scholars believe that this is nothing more or less, nothing else, than a pre-incarnate of the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus is revealing the glory of God in this bush. And so what's happening here is that the Lord Jesus is standing in the midst of the bush and the glory of God is enveloping that bush as a flame of fire. And Moses looked upon it as a burning bush. And God did something in Moses heart that day that lasted for a lifetime he ignited a fire in Moses heart that's not the only time this is found it's found in Matthew 17 where Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration is engulfed in the glory of God but the last thing I see about the features here that's the failure and the features if you're following our outline one more feature i want to show you and that is the feature of the power of surrender moses was told by god moses take off your shoes take off your shoes i was at my seminary graduation and dr stephen olford was preaching and we had worked for hours to get in line you know alphabetically and all this I don't know if you know Dr. Olford or not, but he—he's just an anointed man of God. And I can remember that night, First Baptist Church, Jackson, Florida. When Dr. Olford got ready to get in the pulpit, he took his shoes off, and he walked in that pulpit without any shoes. And I remember him saying, "We are standing on holy ground." Not because this platform is holy, but can I tell you something? When you stand on the ground of holiness, you're standing on holy ground. And when I'm standing in the righteousness of my Lord Jesus Christ, wherever I'm standing is holy ground. And Dr. Holford said, guys, get on your knees. We had worked for hours to get in line. And here's a bunch of guys in in black academic down on our knees. We look like a bunch of buzzards on our faces praying. But I'm going to tell you, that night was another burning bush experience. Oh, how God spoke to my heart that night and said to me, Tommy, I don't care what you've got up here if you don't have God's anointing here if you don't spend time with the burning bush and your heart's not on fire it's not gonna matter you see there's the power of surrender when you take off your shoes you know what you're saying you're saying I'm a servant now because servants didn't have shoes When you take off your shoes, you're saying, I'm getting rid of the filth that I picked up all along the way, the the, the dung and the dust. I'm getting rid of that. It's a metaphor for repentance. When you take off your shoes, you're saying, I'm getting my heart right. I'm a servant and I'm repenting. And you're saying, when I take off my shoes, you're saying, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Those are the features now, I've got one more thing, I just two or three more minutes and we're through. The failure, the features, but I want to show you when we do spend time at the burning bush, there are some things that flow from that burning bush, flow out from the burning bush. Now, what is it? Number one, God gave to Moses a new vision of his future. When he got to that burning bush, he was was a failure. He was ready to quit. But he realized now that he was on the planet for more than just herding sheep. God had a purpose. God had a plan for him. And God was going to use him to deliver the children of Israel. God said to him, Moses, I'm going to send you. So he gave him a new vision. Hey, how many of you know vision means everything? Without a vision the people perish. I heard about a colony that came to the new world. First year they were here, they built a town. The second year they were here, they elected a town council. The third year they were here, the town council voted to build a road one mile into the wilderness. And the fourth year that they were there, they voted to fire the town council for voting the year before to build a road 1 mile into the wilderness what's the, what's the lesson learned here was a colony of people who 4 years ago could see all the way across the atlantic ocean but in 4 years they had lost their vision till they could not see one mile down the road. I know churches like that. Churches that used to have a vision for the world and now they don't even have a vision for their own city. What flowed from his this burning bush experience? A vision of his future. Number two and finally. The second thing that flowed from it was a new strength for his weakness. Hey, Moses began to make excuses just like you and me. Lord, I can't. (laughs) I can't talk plain. I just can't. And he gave him all kinds of excuses. And this is what the Lord said to him. The Lord said, I will go with you. End of story. That's all he needed to know. Amen? I mean, if the Lord is with us, then God's going to provide everything we need to get the job done. Some of you say, Lord, God's calling you. And you're saying, Lord, I can't do that. Hey, I know that feeling. I've been there. Remember sitting in front of that black and white TV? I'm saying, Lord, I can't do that. But Listen, every demand upon you is a demand upon Christ who lives in you. Set us afire, Lord. Stir us, we pray. While the world perishes, we go our way. Purposeless, passionless, day after day. Set us afire, Lord. Stir us, we pray. I wonder if there's anybody in this room and like me, one of the greatest needs of your heart is just to move up real close to that burning bush. Your heart is cold. Yes, you're going to heaven. You're saved, but you're cold. We need to Step up close to that burning bush and let him warm our hearts with the fire of his spirit. Take off our shoes and say, Lord, I repent of my sins. Take off our shoes and say, Lord, I'm a servant. Whatever you want me to do, your agenda is my agenda. Here I am. Lord, send me. Our heads are bowed. Let me ask you just to reflect for a moment. Any old bush will do, which means that every one of us in this room, (laughs) every one of us in this room have the possibility of being used by God. God wants to do in your life and in my life what he did in Moses' life. He wants to give you a new vision for your future. You may have thought your better days are gone. God says, no, I've got something else for you to do. You may have thought, well, I can't do that. Well, God is saying, hey, but I'll be with you. I'll give you the strength to do it. Henry Blackaby has taught us that God, when he gives us experiences like this, those are invitations. God is just saying, come join me in what I'm doing. I wonder today, If there's anybody in this room you just need to say to the Lord Lord here am I I wonder if there's anybody that just needs to warm up come up close to the flame and let the warmth of God's Spirit stir your cold heart again and set you on fire our God is a consuming fire father do in us everything you need to do in order to do through us everything you want to do. In Jesus' name.